The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management, or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Well, greetings, listeners in listener land. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis In Tune. Hope that you are enjoying a great sunshiny day out there today in this post-partly uh, oh, yeah. COVID-19 recovery. St. Louis In Tune focuses on issues that impact and connect the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, and justice. On the line, we have Suzanne King, President and CEO from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri, and Connie Fisher, who's the Director of Mental Health Promotion from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri. Ladies, welcome to St. Louis In Tune. Thanks for having us. You know, mental health is an issue that, you know, as, as I was preparing for this and reading through materials, we all can see physical disabilities, physical problems that we have. Somebody falls down, maybe they break a bone, they skin their, their skin, they are bleeding, um, maybe they have had some surgery, so they have stitches or they've been in the hospital. Mental health is one of those kind of hidden things. Sometimes it manifests itself through behavior. Uh, matter of fact, that's usually how it manifests itself through behavior. But many times, uh, people don't know that they are suffering from uh, a mental health condition unless maybe they've had uh, a family history or they've been to someone who could uh, diagnose this for them. So we're, we're talking about some mental health issues today because in light of COVID-19, there's been a dramatic uptick in domestic violence and child abuse reporting and mental health issues and uh, Sue King and Connie Fisher are here to kind of help us uh, flush these things out. So, ladies, tell us a little bit about what Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri does. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having us this morning. Um, what we try to do, um, we really envision, you know, a just, humane, healthy society in which all people are accorded respect, dignity, and the opportunity to achieve their full potential free of stigma and prejudice. So our work towards this vision is embracing our mission statement, which is to promote mental health and well-being and improve the care and treatment of people living with mental illness through advocacy, education, and service. So that we are part of, we are an affiliate of Mental Health America, which is one of the oldest and largest volunteer movements across our country concerned with both mental health as well as mental illness. And how many... How long have you been going on here in St. Louis? I noticed that it's the 75th anniversary. Is that correct? It is, yes. We, here in St. Louis, were um, started by, well, Mental Health America was started by a, a young man, uh, Clifford Beers, who was uh, living with serious mental illness, and he wanted to make life better for um, folks that were experiencing the stigma and prejudice just simply because they have a mental illness. So he um, started a movement across our country, which is how uh, Mental Health America has started. And in St. Louis, our affiliate chapter started back in 1945, um, just shortly after World War II, I guess it was. Um, so we're very excited and proud to to have served our, our community for that long. Now, when we're talking about mental health, I know that there are some social determinants of mental health, and uh, these are maybe some social cultural context, historical context within our country, 
some <laughs> shifting economics, some short-term environmental kinds of things. Let's talk about how environment relates to, I'm kind of laying some things out, out here on the landscape for you, uh, how environment impacts us, how poverty, how housing, how just an individual's background. Let, let's start when someone either calls in or walks in and says, I need help. What, what is the process that you go through? Okay. I'll let Connie talk through that process. Okay. So we, we have a helpline. Um, so it's not a crisis line. It's not a suicide hotline, but it's a helpline. So it's our job to connect people to the right mental health resources. So when they call us, <clears throat> excuse me, we will um, get detailed information about what's going on, um, answer any questions they might have, um, get some information about things like whether they have insurance or don't so that we are referring them to the right place. And then, um, you know, tie them and connect them to the right mental health resource. Then we will also follow up in about two weeks and make sure they got the help they needed. So that's kind of our our way of of dealing with that. We have um, resources like um, we know who does sliding scale counseling. We know who's doing virtual therapy right now. We know um, we have a database of private practitioners and their areas of expertise. We know which clinic you should go to depending on which zip code you live in if you don't have insurance. So we have all that kind of information that um, is helpful. And sometimes we're just answering simple questions like, what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? So, Why don't you describe that for people, just so they are aware of that? The difference? Yes. <laughs> okay. So a psychiatrist is an MD, a doctor, and they can prescribe medication. And a psychiatrist is going to see you um, 30 minutes, probably tops, um, and uh, really after they get you on the right medication, going to adjust the medication according to your symptoms as you come in and report those. Um, a psychologist or um, licensed clinical social worker or licensed professional counselor all do similar work, and what they're going to do is um, do therapy with you, kind of work through issues. And when you were talking about environment and genetics here a little bit is that, yeah, you can inherit a genetic predisposition for a mental illness, um, and when the right stressors kick in, that gene can be turned on, and then once it's on, it's on, which is why this virus is causing some uptick in um, screenings for anxiety and depression. But also, the environment, you know, the thing, you have, you have some control over your behavior. So there are lots of things you can do to increase your mental health. And so we're all about wellness, actively taking steps to take care of yourself. And, and we're going to come back to that point. I, I really appreciate that because that's very vital. Sometimes people think medication's the only way to do that, and it's not. Um, can you describe, really, from your vantage point, of the uh, Mental Health Association of Eastern Missouri, what mental health really is. People, I think that they, they have this understanding that it's a certain way people act or it's a certain specific kinds of behaviors that they see. Maybe people exhibit on the street or in uh, grocery stores or things like that or, or people who are always taking some heavy-duty medication. Describe what mental health is and, and who it impacts. So it impacts everyone. Everybody has mental health. We sometimes automatically arc to mental illness, so it's important to recognize that mental health is um, is something everybody can do and can improve on, whether you have a mental illness or not. But I like the World Health Organization's definition, and it's a, uh, mental health is a state of well-being in which an individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with normal stressors of everyday life, and can work productively and is able to make um, a contribution to his or her community. 
and obviously that's going to vary depending on what's going on in your life. But um, that's kind of the uh, cover, tries to cover generally mental health. And that's that's. I think it, another important fact to to just so the listeners understand, you know, one in five people will have a diagnosable mental health condition at some point in their life. And that's true for our community as well as across the country. And that has been year after year after year. Um, And probably that number is actually a little low because of the stigma that so many people connect to mental disorders, right? So when when most people think of mental health, they think of... um, Potentially, they think of the people they see um, walking along the street who are talking to themselves, who maybe are in a you know in a, in a serious psychiatric kind of psycho- psychosis at the time, because that's what is on our news, that's what media portrays, that's what we see when we go down to a b- baseball game. That's you know that's our limited view. But when you really look at the impact um, of all of us, we had a gala last December and we did a little exercise for people to stand up. It was a room of 400 people from a variety of different backgrounds, different races, different economic levels. And when we had people stand up, if they had been impacted by a mental illness themselves or if a family member or friend, the entire room was on their feet at the end of that. And it was really powerful and such a strong visual to really see how maybe I don't live with of mental illness or depression or anxiety, but I'm touched closely. You know, it's not far. Either somebody in my immediate family or somebody in my immediate peer circle is, or even a coworker at work. So I do think that, you know, while the definition is, um, it really, people just have to kind of get beyond. It's not just, when we say mental health, it's not just about a disorder. It's really about, you know, the cognitive, behavioral, emotional well-being that we all have and, and need to work on. You know, that, that's a great point. And I, I guess my, my uh, initial thought on that in thinking about mental health is you always, at least I would always go to the, the illness portion of it. But when we talk about physical mm-hmm. health, mm-hmm. we're always kind of talking about people exercising or eating healthy. Mm-hmm. and. What are some of the things to help keep us healthy mentally? And we'll talk about the illness side, but what would you do to recommend to keep that emotional stability, to keep that uh, mental uh, focus and and the intellectual focus moving forward rather than stagnating? So wow. we do a whole yeah, series of wellness seminars, <laughs> but one, you know, there's some just basic things of self-care, um, like setting boundaries. You know, right now a lot of people are having to set boundaries just to get some time to themselves in their homes. Um, there's also um, basic things like physical exercise. We forget the mind is housed in the body and that they do affect each other. And if you are not taking care of your mental health, you are not going to be physically healthy. We're going to see an immune system drop if you're not managing stress well, for example. Um, connecting to other people is crucial to your mental health. You live longer, healthier, happier if you connect to people who make you feel good. And right now that connection takes a big effort. Um, one of the things we're really missing right now is physical contact, face-to-face, looking at somebody's face, contact. And we used to just be more comfortable with texting. Now we're like, hey, I don't ever want to give up this face-to-face contact again. So, um, you, know, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do to improve your mental health. 
This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune. We are talking to Suzanne King, President and CEO for Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri, and Connie Fisher, who's Director of Mental Health Promotion from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri. On your website, you have some uh, great information. You have uh, a lot of different resources. And what I'd like to kind of talk about a little bit right now is the uh, before stage four philosophy. And I want to read a little bit. It says, change the way we think about mental health. When we think about cancer, heart disease, or diabetes, we don't wait years to treat them. We start before stage four. And I thought some of those things that you were discussing previously about how to maintain good mental health, you know, it's just it's just not eating. It's, it's contact. It's talking. It's not isolating yourself. It's, it's nourishing your, yourself and valuing yourself. Go through this before stage four philosophy, um, because you, you mentioned, like, if you see signs of a persistent cough or high blood pressure or high blood sugar, you try to reverse those symptoms. We don't ignore them. And the same thing has to happen for mental health. Would you kind of go through that a little bit with us? Yeah, our, our before stage four is really the foundation for which everything else is based on in our in our organization. And, and it's so true. So, you know, let's say you do have symptoms of a persistent cough or, you know, you have something on your skin or your, your sugar is, is elevated. You don't hesitate to kind of call your primary care physician. You call your doctor, you maybe go in for an appointment. They give you, you know, you know, a treatment plan of whatever that might look like. And you go home and you tell, you know, your significant other or your best friend what's going on with you. However, when we have those early symptoms of maybe we're not sleeping enough or we're, you know, sleeping too much or we're eating, overeating or undereating or any of those other things that are kind of early warning signs that maybe there's something we need to address with our mental health, we, we may not call our doctor. Um, and if we do, and if for some reason there's a diagnosis or there's some medication that's given, we also hesitate when we go back home to tell our significant other or to tell our best friend that, hey, you know, I have some elevated anxiety or I'm suffering from depression and this is what I'm doing because of the stigma. For some reason, we've kind of um, are comfortable in our community, our society, treating the physical health. We don't hesitate for the most part of sharing, um, you know, when we have cancer or some other illness. But when we have a, a mental, either a mental illness or just we're dealing with elevated levels of anxiety or things like that, we, we do hesitate. And so those those stages of, you know, kind of the early stages of mental health, there's, you know, conditions we look at, the first one being the mild symptoms, warning signs, you know, two goes into where those symptoms are either more increasing in frequency or maybe there's an additional um, um, symptom interfering with our actual activities and daily life that we go through. Um, as we move into stage three, those symptoms start to get worse, um, and we can have continued um, episodes that are actually seriously starting to disrupt our life. Like maybe we're losing employment or we're at risk of losing our employment because we continue to have to call in sick. Um, and it's not, you know, and it's really us de trying to deal with our mental health issues that are going on. And then the final stage is, is really far more severe, and it, it definitely jeopardizes people's um, life. Um, and I, I think that that's no different than some of the physical diseases that we all deal with um, or our family or friends might deal with. Um, we just don't treat it or don't respect it in the same way as we do our physical health. 
You know, that's a, a great point, and we don't treat it like we treat our physical health. I, I'm looking at some symptoms and warning signs, and I think about warning signs that, you know, we've talked about colon cancer on the show. We've talked about a lot of other medical kinds of things. We've talked about staying healthy. Even on the station, there are several programs devoted to, you know, diet and what you can do to increase your energy. And I'm looking at, you know, and we, I think most of us know who who are listening right now know that you can inherit some of these conditions from your mm-hmm. family and, and your chemicals, your, your biology of your body, if you get your chemicals out of whack, uh, that's going to you know, throw your system off a little bit. And then when you add environmental pressures like uh, death in a family or you're, you're losing your job or you lost your job or there's some violence or abuse, and then you compound that with diet or substance abuse or sleep patterns that are irregular it's just like a you're going you're going off a cliff yeah it's a perfect storm Mm -hmm. right so these warning signs you know i know sometimes teenagers sleep too much because they stay up too Mm -hmm. late but (laughs) i'm 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 looking at one right now who raised their hand and yes i have a 14 year old (laughs) But sometimes, you know, that does happen, but when it goes overboard, what, what do you consider too much sleeping? Honey, I'll let yeah, you it, does, it would depend that. on that, that age, and that, you know, because teenagers do mm-hmm. sleep more, and they tend to be more owls than larks. You know, they sleep, they stay up late, and they sleep late. <laughs> um, but if it's, if it's a behavior change is what you really want to look at. Yeah. And also, um, you know, if it's like... 10, 12 hours of sleeping, or even if it's not sleeping, but you can't get out of bed. So if we're looking at depression, which is one of the main symptoms for depression is sleeping too much or not sleeping. Um, and so if, if they can't get out of bed and they just can't function, um, they can't, you know, everything they do feels like um, walking in mud up to your knees. They just can't get themselves motivated. And that's very chemically oriented. Um, so that's a chemical that's dropped too low that keeps them from functioning right. And if you inherited blue eyes um, or you inherited, you know, um, the diabetic tendency, you would go get it fixed. But if you inherit a mental illness, um, you act, people act like, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Just get over it. People can't just get over it because chemically they're being dragged down. It is a physical disease. And so it's real important to reduce stigma by people understanding um, there's no judgment in this. This is a physical disease that you didn't cause, that you didn't ask for. But you do have responsibility to do something about. And and that itself is hard for somebody who's depressed. That's really hard for somebody who's depressed. You know, that's a very good point. And I'd like to, after the break, we're going to go to a break here in a little bit, but I'd, I'd like to talk about more a little bit about youth in going through uh, mental illness and trying to stay mentally healthy. also want to talk a little bit about when people get older and the effects of age on mental health. And then, uh, frankly, want to talk about policies and how policies have really, uh, my words now, ladies, uh, focused mental health Uh, kind of in a box or uh, pushed it to uh, the side of a room for a variety of reasons. And that's just my observation on that. But I I really appreciate the discussion and and conversation about this because, you know, in talking to people who do suffer from depression, it is like walking through mud. It's It's like having weight put on you, and you just can't move. And every kind of movement is just... 
you, you it's it's a struggle there's no energy and it yeah. costs all your energy to get through that so i appreciate that analogy it's it's um i think visual for people and helps them understand where other people are coming from this is St. Louis in Tune, Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston. We're talking to Suzanne King, President and CEO from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri, and Connie Fisher, who's Director of Mental Health Promotion from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri. And don't forget, folks, we're still continuing. This is Mental Health Month. May has been Mental Health Month. And if you recognize some of these symptoms, you should uh, reach out to their website. Their website's very, very good. It's mha-em.org, mha-em.org. There's a variety of resources on there for you, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about those after the break. So stay tuned for that. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis In Tune. You're listening to KWRH 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Welcome back to St. Louis in Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We've been talking to Suzanne King, President and CEO from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri, and Connie Fisher, Director of Mental Health Promotion from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri. And I want to give their website out one more time because great resources there, folks. It's mha-em.org. mha-em.org. Looking through the website a little bit more, we've got Uh, Because May, this is Mental Health Month, I see connecting with others, creating healthy routines, finding the positive after a loss, eliminating toxic influences, owning your feelings. These are are things that I think people talk about maybe or will have a brief discussion about, but these are are, are things that should be really put into place in uh, people's lives and, and many times have to be taught because it's just not second nature. What are your thoughts on that, ladies? Um, yes, I think we're, we are actually are seeing a lot more schools teaching that. There's usually a mental health lesson now from grade school. Um, a lot of the schools are teaching meditation and uh, mindfulness, which are um, very good for your mental health. It really helps with anxiety. And so there's, there's a lot more um, kind of push toward that. Uh, this is just part of, you know, learning. This is just what we all need to learn. And naming our feelings determines what we do with them. So it's really good to recognize an, an emotion and then de- know what to do with it. Because what you do for yourself if you're angry is totally different than what you do for yourself if you're scared. And so it's a, uh, it helps if you don't know what you're feeling, you don't know what to do. You know, so it's, it's really helpful to get that education. Now, kids are especially... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to agree with her. Well, you can agree and even elaborate some more if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I just, I think it's vital, and I I do think um, schools are starting to recognize the importance of, you know, kind of that social-emotional learning and how that connects to building resilience within our kids. But I think we could do a lot better job at that. I think it really needs to be ingrained and adopted into curriculum and that both, it has to go across kind of the whole spectrum. So kids, teachers, parents, administrators, superintendents, like inside curriculum and our additional policies, I think need to adapt uh, kind of this social emotional learning kind of movement, quite honestly, because, you know, like what Connie said, if kids can identify, if people can identify and recognize an emotion, and, and, you know, that's great, but we also have to understand the why we're experiencing it. 
so sometimes in the a lot of times in classrooms across our entire country, you see, you know, two kids playing, and next thing you know, one of the kids is, you know, destroying the project that they were working on. And normal kind of teacher responses to sit them, you know address both of them. Usually there's one known as a victim and one known as the, you know, perpetrator kind of thing. And, you know, usually it's the one kid who uh, who destroyed the project who is the one with the consequence. But if we would take a minute, sit them both down and ask maybe why, you might have found out that on the recess, you know, on the playground 10 minutes earlier, that so-called victim had made fun of, you know, the other student because they still wet their bed and they found that out by this person's sibling kind of thing, you know. So it's really getting to the why so that we can help kids then build skills to address, you know, to understand their emotions, to understand how to express them in appropriate ways, and then be able to build, you know, stronger academic worlds as well as long-term kind of employment, relationship, goals, and, and experiences, and success. Now, how many, this is going to be a, a professional and, and personal answer from uh, either one of you or both of you. How much is that related to what you just talked about, relates to really sitting down and listening to kids when in situations like that and talking to them rather than talking at them? Mm. Uh, 100%, I think it is. I would I would say we're you know we we I think there's a um I don't know if it if you call it a value or what it is but there's there's many adults who feel you know parents who've raised their kids I am the parent I am the adult you do what I say you have to respect me and of course right. those are all important things you know for children to learn and understand but I think we've also missed the opportunity to really start to understand and, and to treat children in a way that allows them to start to learn and grow in in those areas where they can they can be heard and seen and valued and and thus then their emotional development can flourish a little bit more. Because when you look at you know some of the statistics and and statistics are they are people. We, we see them as numbers, mm-hmm. we see them as graphs, right. but they are people. And, and that's what I want listeners to understand, that when I read some of these things, these are, these are people. This could be your son or daughter. This could be your grandson or, or granddaughter. This could be your nephew or your niece or your neighbor's kids. Or these, these could be the children in your classroom. That 64.6% of youth with major depression do not receive any, meth- any mental health treatment. And there were 21,000 Missouri youth who reported a substance abuse disorder in the year 2018. There's 14,000. This was, this was staggering. There were 14,000 children with private insurance who did not receive coverage for mental or emotional problems. I know this is a huge right. deal. You know, the, the health insurance and making sure everybody has access, et cetera, like that. That's a whole other argument. But it does relate to the policy kinds of things that I think you all advocate for, correct? Right. Definitely. So, so what's I driving think, you know, when you, our mental health policies right now? It's so interesting, this, this conversation, because there's, there's these policies that, you know, are made at the federal level and, and also state levels. And, Mental health, our emotional health, has nothing to do with politics. 
right? So it doesn't matter if you're a blue person or a red person or somewhere in between group of people, you know, it actually one in five people. So it didn't say one in five Democrats or one in five Republicans. It's one in five of all of us um, will receive a diagnosis. And and that doesn't tell you the number of people. So if let's say I'm the one diagnosed and I have, you know, four people in my family, then there's four additional people who are indirectly impacted by my mental health condition, right? And so when we start talking about policies, I think it gets lost in in sides, you know, and we forget it's about people and we forget it's about, you know, whether it's about our children and we're talking about prevention for all or early identification and intervention for those at risk, you know, then you look at those at risk and there's always these values and judgment statements um, that are there that have been there for decades. Um, you've got, you know, other policies around integrated care and treatment, you know, for those who need it. And we know that if we could integrate care, so if we incorporated our mental health care into our schools and into other systems, that we are going to have better outcome overall and it's going to cost us less money to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get so caught up in politics, <laughs> you know, it just, it becomes kind of a ongoing, I guess, mouse wheel, you know, we just keep spinning because it starts to get hung up in, in the politics of our world. Do you find that uh, those politicians who have had family members or who have uh, personally identified with, um, probably not publicly, with some kind of mental health issue are more open and really listening to some of the things that you're advocating and are willing to make some changes? Yes, I do think that all (laughs) of us are more open. You know, it's just like when your friend buys a new, you know, blue um, Maserati, right? All of a sudden, on the street, you see that same car everywhere because now it's in your world, it's in your pathway. And I think that's the same way. If, you know, um, my my family, I have um, two other siblings, and, and we're, you know, white, middle-class family. In fact, we're raised in Webster Groves. And um, it wasn't until my sister, who's the youngest of the three of us, was a junior in high school and started having serious mental health issues that we had no idea, you know, we didn't know anything. I was an early social worker, a young social worker, just starting to learn about all of this. And, you know, she has a, a diagnosable um, serious mental illness as well as a chemical dependency. And in fact, my brother did too. And so, you know, then it became part of our world because it became part of our family and it was there and we had to, you know, deal with all of that. And so, I just think when it touches us personally is when we start to get more invested and we start to care more. But um, it's really important. You know, there's a, a story back in this guy, Lewis Hershey. He's World War II. He was a general. And they, he was noticing that they turned away 50% of Army recruits because of poor nutrition. And so the Congress passed the National School Lunch Act, right? And they did it. And in other words, basically, they started feeding our kids because they saw this issue and it didn't become, it didn't get lost in politics. It just became, you know, this issue that 50% of people that were trying to get into the army were not, were turned away because of poor nutrition. That's kind of the same approach that really needs to happen, you know, in our schools and our communities um, with building resiliency and increasing children's emotional skills so that we really 
support each other. You know, if we learn nothing through this pandemic and this crisis and everybody, you know, it's, it's all about us. We're all in this together. Well, hopefully beyond this, we can take, we can continue with that attitude and that, that value that people are coming to the table with and, and really start to make some gains in this area. I know the Missouri Comprehensive Guidance Program had addressed some of these things that we're talking about in that curriculum. Uh, as a former educator, I know those were things that were always on the forefront of our minds when we're observing kids, in, whether in the classroom or on the playground or in any situation, as to some of their behaviors and why they're doing some of the things they're doing and how they can adjust some of those things and react internally before they react externally and how they can try to maintain some some good health, not only physically but mentally. I, w- I want to shift gears a little bit because m- a lot of the population is aging. Uh, the baby boomers are are hitting all the retirement numbers. And, you know, as the population ages, there are other issues that relate to mental health with an aging population. Describe what, what some of those are. So um, older adults do have um, high anxiety disorders, um, three 0.8% of older adults will have an anxiety disorder. And then also, um, older adults make up about 13% of the population, but they account for 20% of the people who commit suicide. So um, particularly men over 65 are um, higher suicide risk. And interesting that um, older adults who, um, who die by suicide have reached out to a doctor. Um, 20% saw a doctor the day they died. saw a doctor the week they died, and 70% saw a doctor the month they died. So um, it's it's, uh, helpful to me. I'm 66, so I am a boomer. So when I get, when I go to the doctor now, I see those screenings for mental health. Are you feeling, um, you know, suicidal? Are you sleeping more? Are you eating less? You know, they're checking those things now. And so I, I think we haven't been screening and some people, and this is really a myth around being older, is us just assume all older adults are depressed. We're just all depressed because we're old. Well, that's not true. We're not supposed to be depressed because we're old, okay? And it's some, for a lot of us, actually, we have um, a better outlook on life than um, people younger than us. But when we do have those mental illnesses that aren't being treated, we do, and we get, especially you couple that with, as you were talking about environment, loneliness and isolation and maybe physical disabilities, then you start to see that spiral downward. Um, so the more we support um, our older adults, the, you know, the healthier they're going to be, pretty much like any age, if you think about it. You know, I'm, I'm reading here that there's a high correlation between depression and cardiac events, stroke, and other chronic mm-hmm. physical health conditions. And that makes perfect sense that you can't function like you used to function, how much, uh, right. what, what part of recovery or uh, what's the word I'm looking for when, when people go to a place to rehab, it, when they go to rehab, how much of that is mm-hmm. done to assist mental health as much as physical health? Do you know that? I don't know a statistic on that, but I do know that now it's almost standard procedure to give somebody who's had a heart attack an antidepressant because their um, ability to survive goes up quite a bit. I wish I had that stat in front of me, but it goes up quite a bit. Um, I think rehab for a lot of people, it's like, okay, that's the downward slope. But people forget that you can get out of rehab, you know, so it's part of this 
you know, when we go back to the wellness arc of mental health, part of it is how are you thinking about this? What's your perception? What are you telling yourself? Because that can, you know, one of the things we know about depressed people is they think negatively about the past, the present, and the future. And if you can change how they're thinking, you can actually lift some of that depression. Now, you're not going to lift somebody from major depression out with just thinking differently. They're going to need medication in addition to that. But they are going to need to think differently. So, um, you know, we can do something literally besides take medicine for our mental health. And there's so many things we can do that are um, productive. You know, exercise is, you know, when you start releasing Mm -hmm. some endorphins, it really assists in in attitudes of of what's going on. But it's getting people to initially engage in those kinds of activities and then eating the the kinds of food that you eat also have have a huge impact on that. Is Mm -hmm. that something that you find with some of the clients that you work with? Yeah, that's, a, that's again, a standard treatment now for depression is exercise. We know it lifts your serotonin to exercise. Um, so, and if you exercise with a friend, now you've connected to another person and you've exercised. So that's really kind of a nice combination. People think you have to do all this separately, but you don't really. You know, you can put it together with other things. Um, but it is a standard treatment now for, uh, for, um, for depression. And also um, nutritional things are also included in um, changing um, for for depression and anxiety disorder. Now, do well, and the exercise doesn't have to be super complicated, right? It can be walking, mm-hmm. you know, it can right. be a brisk walk. Um, you know, just even all the times Dr. Fauci's on the TV talking about get out, you know, um, get outside mm-hmm. into the air. Right? And right. I can't tell you how many times I do that. And I'm like, oh, it feels so better, so much better it's now, so much better. you know. <laughs> and the sun is going to lift your mood because you were talking about the sun earlier, too. That's going to lift your mood. So if you get outside and you take a walk, and here's my trick. I don't like to exercise, but if you got to get that 30 minutes in, walk 15 minutes from your house. you got to go back. That's true. Because we all want to stop at about 15 minutes, right? So if you just walk that far away or walk into a park 15 minutes, then you got to go back to your car. So it's just a way to get yourself to do it. You know, the sunlight Tommy, thing. Can you talk a little bit about the breathing and how important that is? Because that's so yeah, breathing is is real simple, but part of the mindfulness um, kind of concept that's so big right now and such a big push. So mindfulness is being in the present moment. And one of the easiest ways to get yourself back to the present moment is to focus on your breathing. You have to be breathing correctly, though. A deep breath means your belly goes out, not your shoulders up. So not the doctor deep breath. But um, if you do a fast yawn, you'll, you'll experience a deep breath. You'll fill the bottom of your lungs and your belly will go out. So that's a correct breath. And the little technique I like is you breathe in for a count of five, you hold for a count of five, and then you breathe out and spell the word peace as in peaceful, not piece of cake. And if you do that three times, you will reverse a fight or flight response, so a stress response. You also reverse a panic attack. Now, if you go back into what if thinking, what if it puts you in the future? Because what if thing is always in the future. What if I can't pay my bills? What if I get the virus? What if I, you bring yourself back to the present moment where you have control. So this is where you plan for those things. This is where you choose your options um, and your responses. This is where you feel powerful and calm down. So immediately coming back to the present moment is calming. It is hard for humans to do. We like to be in the future. So if you practice it, you will be able to do it when you need it. And I like to practice it at stoplight. You have about three minutes at stoplights. Do, you know, three sets of this breathing technique. Then when you need it, it'll just pop for you. That's some great advice there. You know, mm-hmm. really important to breathe because when people get a little anxious, they, 
You know, they don't breathe as He's much not as breathing. and not correctly breathing. Breath, right. Wow. You know, now, I, by the way, when you hold your breath and you go through that fight or flight response and you do it too long, you have that cortisol in your system too long, you're going to have an immune system drop. Nobody needs an immune system drop right now. Exactly. <laughs> we got a virus going around. And, and we were commenting at the here. beginning of the show, it's great to see the sunshine, especially in the wintertime. That, mm-hmm. that is a factor for many people. You know, that mm-hmm. the overcast skies and the gray winters that we've been having, uh, you know, they need that, right. uh, that sunshine. Mm-hmm. One last question I have for you is, what do you see in rural versus urban or suburban areas? And obvious access is, is going to be an issue. But I know there's other stressors, living in a, in a rural environment versus living in a, an urban or a more city environment. Do you see uh, different kinds of challenges other than access or maybe some different kinds of issues? For sure, access. I mean, there's just nothing. In a lot of rural Missouri, there is nothing. I mean, there's no psychiatrists. There's, no, um, there's not very many therapists. And there's not very many hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. And the sheriff is driving you to the hospital. I mean, so so there's lots of um, challenges for rural Missouri. One of the answers has been teletherapy and telepsychiatry because then that doctor doesn't have to be there. And for somebody who's depressed, that's actually easier for them to talk to somebody through um, telecommunication. So this Zoom stuff that everybody's getting tired of <laughs> is, is also helpful in, in that sense, and that is one of the solutions. But um, Sue and I know, and we've been fighting this for years, that there's a shortage of psychiatrists in the nation, but in Missouri in particular, and even more so in the rural communities. So if somebody does need medication to correct their mental illness, I mean, it's just a struggle. I mean, you got to drive 200 miles to go see your psychiatrist once a month to get your medicine. I mean, it's just, and you don't even have insurance. I mean, it's just really a challenge. And the free clinics are even, you know, are full all the time. It takes four to six months to get into the free clinic. Um, so if you've got a crisis, it's just, now we're sending you to the emergency room. And if you're in a mental health crisis, let me tell you, you don't want to go to the emergency room. Right. Just because... Who wants to go well, to the so. Yeah, really. I think the, um, the other real anyway. big issue, and it's not, you know, it's, again, stigma. You know, in the, some of the, I was talking to some, some ladies that were connected with Bear, and I don't know if it was Monsanto or Bear at the time, but um, talking about kind of the, the ag community and, you know, just how huge stigma is. And they know so many farmers who literally, you know, their spouses were the ones saying, you know, I, I need help. He, he won't, you know, he won't go and he won't address this and he won't get help. Um, but it's really, um, you know, it's really important. There's a, an agency called Egg State of Mind. Mm-hmm. You can go to their website, eggstateofmind.com, and, you know, they're really starting to do a lot around breaking the stigma in the agricultural yeah. community. And so I think if anybody, you know, has interest or wants to learn more about that, it's they're doing some really great stuff, and they've got a, I can't remember if it's a podcast or just they're on social media, but if you go to their website, um, you'll, you'll hear it. They do some really great work around that. 
We've been talking to Suzanne King, President and CEO from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri, and Connie Fisher, who's Director of Mental Health Promotion from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri. Ladies, it's been a, a very interesting conversation, and we need to have more of these conversations, especially within families and within groups of people, even at uh, work, the work environment, to discuss that mental health is a very important thing. A lot of people maybe are ashamed to know that they have you know, somebody back in their gene pool who uh, was either institutionalized or suffered severely from uh, mental illness and or somebody who was on uh, many, many medications and they're just like waiting for the, the ball to drop for them or they don't want to talk about it. And it's something, it's, it's just like talking about physical uh, health and physical mm-hmm. ailments. We need to talk about these things, folks, openly and honestly yep. so we can uh, identify and assist and continue to care for uh, individuals around us and especially within our families. Ladies, any final comments or thoughts? I would just say if we do have free screenings on our website with no identifying information other than your zip code, the screenings take maybe five minutes. And um, if you're screening high, it's going to prompt you to seek treatment, and you can print your score and your test and take it to your doctor. And I think doctors are 40% more likely to um, pay attention to that if you take this in. So that's available to anybody out there and just lots of good information on the website. That's great. That's great. There is a lot of good information. I want to echo that. It's mha-em.org, mha-em.org. 